It's much more about the skill and the experience that you have than the title you may carry or who you may know. And so the key we have to come up with as a function is to really broaden the horizon of the different ways we look at talent so that we're looking for people with these skills and these experiences rather than just looking for folks that maybe sat in this role. That was Northwestern Mutual EVP and CHRO, Don Robertson. And in this conversation, Don and I sat down to discuss his career transitioning from the business into HR, how that business acumen helps shape his strategy, the role of people analytics, and so much more. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of the past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency design from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional transactional search models with our flat fee pricing structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Academy is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's HR practitioners and leaders through the AI Learning Lab, peer learning cohort programs, community, and a range of resources to support their growth. You can learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I'm thrilled to be sitting down with Don Robertson. Don is the EVP and CHRO of Northwestern Mutual. And we're going to talk about his career, how he brings his background in business into the role, and so much more. So, Don, thanks for coming to the podcast. Um, I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the audience. Well, it's great to be here, Lars. Thanks for having me. And it's it's uh, always wonderful to spend time to talk about our function. Um, so I'm Don Robertson, as you said, CHRO, but I'm also responsible not just for all the talent and talent related uh, at Northwestern Mutual. I'm also responsible for really the entire employee experience. So I also own responsibility for the facilities, for the all of the meetings we put on for our field, all of our restaurants, all of our really all of our employee type thing, security. So anything that really touches the employee. And so it's a, it's a really it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and so that's um, that's quite a scope, and I want to dig into your work and your role at Northwestern Mutual. But before we do that, I want to actually talk about your career because you spent uh, you know over a decade in uh, FP&A, finance, business operations, different areas of the business before moving into HR. I'd love to hear more about that transition. Like, what what was it about the field? How did you find yourself kind of making that shift from uh, the business background? in finance and other areas into kind of more of an HR focus, leveraging your business background? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I get asked that all the time is what got you into HR? And, and I've always had a strong affinity for people. Um, so that was something that was very natural for me. But I did spend the first, you know, 13, 14 years of my career, predominantly in finance roles, predominantly FP&A. I'm a CPA by background, and I, and I did a number of things in that area. And then I spent about a half a dozen years in what I would call general management kind of sales, uh, uh, kind of operations areas. And then I, I got what got me where I made the transition from the business into HR is when I was leading a sales organization for Hewlett Packard. And they asked me to take on the responsibility for doing sales development 
And at that time, that was really part of the business. But uh, HR eventually, t- it ended up getting engulfed into HR. And when I first kind of got engulfed into HR and they asked me to stay, and the main reason for that is the, the, the woman that was kind of one of my mentors, uh, Maris, Marcella Perez de Alonso, um, it was the head of H- HR at HP. She really wanted somebody, she wanted people in the HR organization that actually had a business mindset. And, and, and her, her strong values was really... B- HR is really to support the business and drive the business and people that understand the business or she felt could be really powerful HR uh, uh, people and ultimately do a lot for the for the function of the organization. And so that's kind of what got me in it. Um, it was, I, I'll be honest with you, Lars, it wasn't something that I saw as a career path, but uh, now that I've been in it for, uh, you know, almost 20 years, it's been, it's been really exciting and I really enjoy it. And I do think my business background gives me a, a significant uh, leg up in terms of my ability to really uh, communicate and to be effective with my business partners. Yeah. And I want to explore that a little bit with you because I think, you know, we talk about how the field of HR has evolved, particularly from the, the skill set that HR leaders need today. You know, historically, HR acumen, obviously you needed that. That's table stakes. That's, that's, if you don't have that, you, that's not your role. Um, but the business acumen is so crucial. And I think the complexity of the, the world of both business and work today have really reinforced the need for stellar business acumen and the HR leadership roles. And I think it's part of the reason why we've seen more career paths like yours where people coming into that HR leadership role from other areas of the business because they possess that business acumen. So, you know, for you, when you think about business acumen, like how, how do you define that in the context of how you leverage that in your role as CHRO? Well, one of the simplest ways to actually uh, define it, business people don't speak HR. They speak the language of business. And so when business people are talking about challenges they're facing, they're typically talking about things that ultimately are focused on driving the outcomes that the business is trying to achieve. But almost always it comes down to, do you have the people? Do you have the talent? Do you have the engagement? Do you have what you need from your employee base? And so being able to understand what the business is trying to accomplish in a way that they see it and understand it, and then at the same time have a domain ability to tap into the on the talent side from the HR side is a very powerful because what I, it allows me to connect with business leaders a, a, a lot more quickly. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, we have a, a long-term multi-year strategy that we're trying to accomplish as a business. Um, and instead of trying to say, you know, things that are uh, related to, you know, kind of what you say, cookie cutter kind of HR things, the, the way I approached it was, well, what are the, what are the, the critical roles that we're going to need to be able to drive the transformation that we're trying to do as part of our multi-year strategy. And if we don't have those critical roles, um, in our case, it's predominantly technology and digital and new age kind of roles, we're not going to be able to do the things that we need to do from a business standpoint. So when I made the business case for things we need to do investment to make sure we had those critical roles, it was tied to allowing the business to achieve its multi-year strategy. It wasn't, it, it was very specific to what the business was trying to accomplish. And I was able to put it in language that the business really understood and and most importantly realized if they didn't have that, they wouldn't be able to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. Uh, And so I think that's where it gives me an advantage because I kind of know how they think. Yeah. And I mean, I'm curious too, like when you think about, um, obviously for you yourself, you came from a background in business operations and finance before moving into the role. Um, perhaps for people leaders who have more of a, a kind of vertical career path, maybe they move within HR. Um, what recommendations do you have? Like how can they hone and build their, their business acumen? Well, first of all, spend more time with the business. 
one of the things that I, I, I would, I tell my folks, I, cause I have uh, most of my, my organization is, is people just like that. And that doesn't mean they can't learn it, but you need to spend time in the business and, and, and really spend time to get to know the business. For example, if you're in recruiting, the more that you understand what you're recruiting for, the more effective you're going to be in, in your ability to recruit. If you're an HR business partner spending, you know, your goal should be trying to really understand the business organization that you're supporting so well that you could actually do one of those positions if, if, if you chose to. And, um, and in fact, one of the goals I set when I tell my folks is when you're sitting around the table having a conversation about the business, ho hopefully no one can tell you're the HR person because you're asking more business questions. So it's really just having a general curiosity about how, what your business does, how they make money, what their challenges are, um, understand how they do budgeting. Uh, if you're a, if These days, there's nothing you can do in HR and be effective if you don't understand how budgets are done and how, how do you get, you know, the investments you need. And you need to be able to put it in a language that business people understand because uh, unfortunately we don't live in a world where everybody just has unlimited funds. You have to be able to make a business case for what you're doing. And the more you can tie it to what the business outcome is, the more, the more likely you're going to get the support. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, we all want to live in that world with unlimited funds, uh, but none of us do. And so I think, uh, you know, you hit a really good point there. Um, you know, one thing I'd love to get your perspective on, you, you talked about some of the transformation work um, that you've been going through and the need for, you know, new age skills, digital skills, um, capabilities. And I think it coincides with, you know, perhaps how our narrative is shifting also a bit around how we think about talent, um, attraction, engagement and development, perhaps more from a skill based standpoint than a role-based standpoint. And I think it's allowing organizations to really reinvent and, and, and completely rethink how they recruit, how they develop, how they create internal mobility and retention. And I'd love to get your perspective. Like, how do you, when, when you think about the overall kind of talent strategy at Northwestern Mutual, how do you think of that through a skills-based lens? Lars, you're spot on. I mean, I think the future of, of our function is predominantly about driving talent decisions based on based on skills and capabilities. It really levels the playing field and takes a lot of the hierarchy out of things. Um, and I think why that's so critical is as you think about where business is going, um, that, that, that a lot of what the businesses need to move forward is requiring a, a set of skills that they may not have. For example, in our organization, a lot of the things we're trying to do around technology, around new business processes, requires people that have different types of experience and skills than, than what we may have had. And so, you, you know, we're attacking it in a number of different ways. One of the things that we're looking at is we're moving away kind of from a rec a rec approach to filling roles, but rather in thinking about creating talent pools and understanding the talent skills and the talent pools that we need. We need people to understand how to how to code or develop this type of technology. We need people to understand how to how to look at business processes differently. We need people that that understand how to do digital design or how to. And so it's much more about the skill and and the experience that you have than the title you may carry or who you may know. And so the key we have to come up with a, as a function is to really broaden the horizon of the different ways we look at talent so that we're looking for people with these skills and these experiences rather than just looking for folks that maybe sat in this role. Um, so it's much more an example of that 
we're actually, for our top, let's say, thousand roles, we're actually working with business leaders and really defining what is the critical uh, success factors and skills and experiences that role needs to have. And then we're designing a, a career pathing process that kind of matches against skills and capability rather than roles and titles and levels so that we can actually be much more intentional about helping our folks develop skills and experiences rather than just sit in different roles so that when those opportunities come up that they want, they've actually got the background and experience and skills that they've learned to be able to go after it, not just because, hey, they sat in this role and the next role was that role. Yeah, you know, I really like how you frame that in terms of the collaboration with the business to determine, engage those skills as those roles. Because again, when you think back, how we hire today in most organizations is a digital version of how we hired 20 years ago, right? It's a resume, it's a hiring manager. And particularly, you know, within HR, we can create skills-based programs and protocols, but if we have hiring managers who still have a rec-based mindset, who oftentimes, and again, no knock on hiring managers, they're usually uh, you know, strapped and, and really need that talent right away, but they're looking for fits that are 90% on spec, uh, right? And so it just, uh, it, it, it eliminates room for growth. There's just a lot of shortcomings with that kind of legacy approach. And so hearing how you're designing that with the business um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and Lars, if I could just add one thing that I think you'll, you'll find interesting. One of the approaches we're taking from a value proposition standpoint, and this is, I, you know, I, I think every company talks about saying they're doing this, but I don't know many that do. When you think about your employees, uh, you know, and often, we're, as companies, especially public companies, we're thinking about, well, how do we deliver for the shareholder? How do we deliver the outcome? But the thing I think that you that companies need to start thinking about is it's two sides of a coin. You have the shareholder or the, or the, or the customer on the one side, but you have the employee on the other side. And what we need to be doing is designing ecosystems that allow employees to grow and develop their own skills and capabilities simultaneously while they're delivering for the policy owner or the shareholder, et cetera. And, and therefore, that requires a level of intentionality. So as you think about opportunities you create for people, first of all, you need to get to know your talent at a much more granular level. The, and your managers need to be much more about more, much more career guides, not just somebody that's getting the work done. So yes, you have to deliver and get the work done, but you also need to be helping people deliver for themselves. So as the company wins, the employee wins. And I think we're entering a world where, the, where there's not enough talent that what we want. And I think the companies that are going to win on the talent war are going to be companies that, that really have an equal footing of their employees and their customers and shareholders so that it's not just serving for the shareholder and customer, but it's also serving for the employee. Yeah, you know, look, it's such a smart point because I think too often, especially historically in HR and just in business, we would roll things out uh, and making clear like the the value drivers for the business. We need you to do this to drive the business forward and not, you know, inverting that to say, well, look, we're going to invest in you in this way to drive you forward. And if we drive you forward, you will drive the business forward. And you'll do that while you're here. And you'll do that when you're not here, because at some point you're going to leave. And our goal is to make you more valuable, more impactful. We'll benefit from that. But you personally will also benefit from that in at this role and beyond. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting to hear how you're kind of, you know, capturing that, I think, in the way that you're thinking about developing talent and the value both to them and to Northwestern Mutual. Um, we talked about business acumen again, it's such a key component of, of modern HR, modern HR leadership. Another kind of pillar of modern HR is people analytics. 
You know, and that's a field that has been evolving pretty dramatically over the last five years even. Um, and I'm curious to get your perspective. Like what role does people analytics play in your kind of org and people and talent strategy? And, uh, you know, how are you leveraging that within the business? We, we leverage uh, data in many ways. I mean, um, most of the decisions we make are, are, are really a combination of what the business is trying to achieve and, and using data to really make intelligent decisions. Um, when I first got here, the company was extraordinarily focused at a high level on diversity and inclusion and did a lot of work in DNI. But when I looked at the data, it, we weren't getting the outcomes. And so one of the things that we do often is look at uh, data as it relates to populations, as different cuts. We, we, do, we do a lot of employee surveys. We get feedback. We do a lot of correlations between data in our service surveys and data, what we see in the organization. We build data into our metrics. We're very outcome-oriented, metric-oriented. Um, so, for example, our bonus programs carry targets for the, you know different data type uh, things that we want to achieve in the in the organization. We're very strong in execution at NM. Uh, the key is, uh, you know, we need to be focused on the right data. We use data when we see hot spots in attrition or we see hiring challenges. We'll look at different correlations of that data. So um, we track all kinds of attrition data, all kinds of diversity and inclusion data, all kinds of um, skill set data. Um, we, we create an internal talent marketplace where we'll, we'll, we'll look at opportunities and roles and skills, and we'll then look at people in our system that are interested in that, that are you know highly regarded, and we'll match that up uh, or, or reach out. So almost every major decision and area that we look at, we're using some form of correlation or some form of data. And the reason why I think that's so important is a lot of these a lot of these times these subjects can be very emotional. They can be very you know um, I would say disruptive in sometimes. And the best way to have I, I think really effective conversations, especially when you're dealing with difficult things or challenging things, is using data because you know the facts are the facts. And so um, we use that a lot to help our managers really understand what we're trying to do and use it as a north star in a lot of cases. You know we we balance it with judgment. We never let data over override judgment, but it's all we make a lot of decisions based on data. As an HR practitioner navigating the new world of work, your ability to learn, connect with resources, and build your global peer community is essential to your success. That's why I launched the Amplify Academy. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help HR practitioners and people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with the diverse learning needs and resources for today and tomorrow. There are three components to the Academy. The Learning Lab is an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, content, and more to support the learning needs around modern HR practices for today and tomorrow. The Amplify Academy Slack community is designed to help you build your global network equity and peer set with practitioners around the world who share your vision for progressive HR practices. And the Amplify Academy cohorts are four-week immersive peer learning programs designed to help people leaders build the skills and network they need to succeed as an HR leader in today's environment. Cohort students also learn from world-class people leaders from Katie Burke, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Brian Power, AJ Thomas, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? Be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product, which is designed to give you and your people teams access 
to over 400 resources, the full community, and more across the Amplify Academy. Learn more at amplifytalent.com slash academy. Now, back to the show. I mean, I think the art with data today is, is again, as you mentioned, it's, it's how do you, how do you be data informed versus data led? And I think maybe that's the art of like being able to understand how and where to ask the right questions to get the right data to support the right decisions. Uh, and, and that, you know, that I think is the continued evolution of how we, how we approach people analytics in the space, because we've never had more access to data. We've never had more sophisticated tools to help us interpret and analyze the data uh, than we do today. Yeah, it, allow, it allows you to tune dials. So I love the way you describe it. I mean, it's informs, it informs your decisions. It does not make them for you, but it does give you the ability to kind of see where um, you may want to focus your energies and your efforts. Um, and it's also a really good way to kind of figure out uh, is what you're doing working. Um, you know, I mean, um, you know, we've been fortunate. We use data, for example, in the engagement and, and, ha you know, half a dozen years ago, our engagement scores and some of our commitment levels weren't what we wanted them to be. And so we spent a lot of time, uh, talking to people. Let me be really clear. The other thing we, we spent a lot of time on is lots of round tables, lots of intimate conversations. I, I think one of the most powerful things you can do as an HR leader, and I, I spend, you know, many, many hours just talking to our employees. Um, I'll do roundtables of 50 managers. I'll do sessions with 100 employees where I'll just, it'll just be me talking to them. And I spend, you know, eight, 10 hours a month doing that. Um, and you combine those conversations. So think of it as that anecdotal kind of, uh, kind of real time feedback with you looking at data. And then, uh, you know, it allows you to formulate strategies for how you want to attract and, and grow your talent in a way that's very informed, but still it, it's got to make sense for your culture. It's got to make sense with the art of what you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, you've got to calibrate the, the data with the real feedback and vice versa. And so if you only have one or the other, you're not going to be making fully informed decisions. Uh, and, and it could easily go down the wrong path uh, if you're not, you know, understanding both of those levels, uh, levers and kind of measuring them equally. Um, and you mentioned eng engagement. And I want to talk to you a bit more about that because one of the things I found really interesting uh, about your business is, you know, in 2001, uh, obviously year two of the pandemic, um, peak the great, whatever we want to call it, uh, these days, but lots of turnover, lots of movement, uh, white hot job market, uh, lots of employees who, you know, had been dissatisfied, were just leaving, um, some without even other job lined up because of just how strong the economy was. Um, but even in that moment where I think a lot of your contemporaries were, were struggling with engagement scores, um, you found that you weren't, you found that actually your engagement, uh, uh, levels continued to be on an uptrend from, you know, before the, you know, the period just before the pandemic through that point of the pandemic. How did you do that, right? Like, what, what were, when you look back, you know, I'm sure it's not any one thing, but when you look back, what do you think are some of the ingredients that created an environment that allowed you to have such strong engagement, even at a time where a lot of companies were struggling? Well, you have to go back even a couple of years earlier than that. I mean, one of the things that we did, we, listen, we're a very financially strong company. We're tremendously value oriented. We have our, no, we're very noble purpose oriented. Our goal is to free clients from financial anxiety and to create an environment for them to, to live their best lives. So from a value standpoint, we're very mission driven. And so I think our employees in general uh, feel really good about what they're doing and what they're contributing. But I, I think 
specifically to what did we do, you know, during the pandemic and, and what's allowed us. And, and, and you're right, Lars, we um, we are over 80 uh, percent on engagement in every single function, uh, uh, gender, ethnicity, location, uh, geography, et cetera. So we've been able to maintain that. And I think a big part of it is. Uh, first of all, the type of people that are attracted to our company, but but probably the transparency, the authenticity. You know, we we spent, we we really are very very focused on letting our employees know what's going on. We're very honest with them about about the challenges we have. We're very we make it very clear to them how much we value them. We say it all the time. We don't make anything uh, without our people. We don't have a product, you know, in a sense. I mean, we sell what we sell and do. It's our people that make the difference for us. And so I know that a lot of companies say that, but. In our case, we really spent a lot of energy and time on it. Um, but we were very transparent, very honest. I mean, you know, we did we did little things like, you know, if you remember during the pandemic, you couldn't get toilet paper, you couldn't get certain things. We sent care packs to our employees just to let them know we cared about them. You know, we knew that they couldn't get paper or pencils and, you know, everything was in shortage. And so we, we found out what they needed and we let them go on a site, for example, and pick out something that they needed that they, that, that, that they were struggling. Um, we, we added extra vacation days. We, 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 we tried to do some celebrations. We did a lot of things to let people know that we cared about them. Um, and our, our leadership, uh, you know, it was kind of fun during the pandemic. We did, we did our t- town halls from zoom and they got to see our dogs and we sometimes we'd be wearing sweatpants and, uh, you know, I even dressed up in a deer outfit for a Christmas party. I mean, we just showed them we were people and, and, uh, and I think it, it gave them a sense to understand that, you know, how much we cared about them. And, um, and, and then just being part of this, such a successful company with a rich tradition of who we are. And I think if more companies just spent more time really just connecting with their people, it's all about human connection. Um, and I think we just caught a sense of what our people needed. Um, we weren't out there trying to win the war in the press. We weren't making big statements about you know, hey, let's do this or we're going to do that. Or everybody's coming back. Everybody's staying home. We, we, we just focused on our people. Um, and I think as a result, um, we spent a lot of time with our managers, helping make sure they had the resources and tools that they needed. And don't get me wrong. We didn't get it perfect. Um, you know, they're still, we're not a hundred percent. So, uh, but uh, we just spent a lot of time getting to know our folks. And we did, by the way, we also did a lot of uh, surveys and check-ins and ask them what, what they needed, what was going on um, so that we helped them through that difficult period of time. Yeah, I mean, you know, hearing you kind of describe those Zoom meetings and uh, and the deer costume, I mean, it just reminds me, I think, you know, we, we went through a period, I'm sure the deer costume was amazing, uh, but I think more importantly, you wore it. And, and what I mean by that is I think that, you know, not long ago, that there's so many kind of macro shifts that are happening right now. And it was just, you know, three years ago, four years ago, we were in a period in business where, you know, we glorified hustle, we glorified grind, everybody bragged about how busy they were. And I think particularly at the leadership level, um, there was this kind of veneer of infallibility that came with that role, right? You People said the right things, dressed the right, right ways, did the right things. And I think that that is, has certainly shifted in a way from the pandemic and beyond that I think those days are over. You know, we're comfortable having an executive wear a deer costume on a Zoom meeting. We're comfortable talking about uh, how different HR programs impact us personally or how societal events impact us personally as, as a human, not just as a leader. And I think it's, uh, it's really allowed, I think particularly people in your role to connect with employees in ways that, you know, maybe they just weren't able to when they had that more kind of polish, more, uh, you know, scripted, uh, style that I think, you know, many had before just 
the realness and the authenticity that, you know, living through a global pandemic brings. Um, you know, for you, when you think about how this world of work has, has been evolving, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you were a, a client of the HR function early in your career before you moved over. You've been focused on this discipline uh, for a while now. When you think about the world of work today versus the world of work when you first entered the workforce, what gets you most excited about how it's changing and evolving? Well, what's the most exciting for me is, is just how much more the function is actually driving a lot of the, a lot of the change and a lot of the transformation. When, you th when I first got into HR, HR was very much uh, what the business leaders said you kind of did. Um, and I think we all know that business leaders don't always know uh, what, what they need to do with their talent. They, they, they just know what talent that they need. And so what's really exciting for me is to watch how much the function you know, is really evolved to where we're not just seat at the table, we're helping design the table. We're helping to be the ones that are actually driving the change and driving the transformation. Uh, and that's why I think it's so much so important and so much more important that, that you have a business understanding because if you have the ability to have that influence at that level and then you have the skill set to go along with it, it, it's incredible how much change you could drive in a, in a very short time and ultimately put in place a lot of things that I think will allow, will give you a competitive advantage with talent. It's all about talent. I mean, no, nobody's going to win the win, win if they don't have the right talent. And I think the more that we're now in, in, a, in, a, in a key role, and you should, listen, you have to partner. It still gets done through the, your business partners, your business leaders. But I think you can. we have a lot more power and influence over what actually happens. And they trust you more and they look to you more. And uh, we're not just... The, the transactional HR is kind of table stakes. I mean, if you're really going to be playing a major role to help drive companies forward, you're you're in the trenches th thinking about the business strategy. What's the transformation strategy? What do you have to accomplish? What's the talent you need? Um, what kind of engagement? What kind of employee communications? How often do you talk to your leaders? You're you're involved in anything that relates to to people and what you need to get from your people. Yeah, no, I think you're you're spot on, and I think it's uh, you know, the interesting part of all of this is, you know, we're we're in the first inning of building this new world of work, and and you know, we don't know exactly where it's going to take us, um, but we know it's going to continue to evolve rapidly, and I think we have to adapt to that, and so I think hearing your approaches uh, and how you how you think about that, uh, you know, I think it's 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 a strong way to look at it because ultimately, the world of work you know, a year from now is going to be different than the world of work today. And the, the, the accelerating pace of innovation and iteration uh, is going to just have a profound impact. And we need to be much more agile in our practices to adapt to that. So, um, Don, I've really enjoyed learning more about your, your background, your work at Northwestern Mutual. Uh, we close every episode with a lightning round to help the audience get to know you a little bit more. So uh, we always start with music. Uh, I'm checking out your Spotify playlist or wherever you stream music. Uh, who will I learn or some of your top three artists? Wow. I mean, I've got a pretty eclectic taste, um, Lars, but um, you would probably find a mixture of things from the 70s, 80s, and maybe more modern. So um, I was listening to Lionel Richie this morning, um, uh, and, and uh, I was listening to Rascal Flatts, and uh, and I was listening to, um, to, to Boston. So, I mean... Uh, uh, you know, so it's it's pretty eclectic, but uh, maybe a little earth, wind, and fire when I work out. Depends what kind of mood I'm in. I, you know, I love good jazz too, but that's probably the the, the t different types of things. You know, I'm into it. And one of these days, we're going to do a uh, playlist, I think, uh, of you know highlights from the podcast because we do get a lot of yacht rock, and I'm also a huge yacht rock fan. So uh, I respect the the Lionel and the Boston. 
Uh, moving on to TV, uh, what was the latest uh, binge watch you streamed on TV? Uh, Westworld. Um, I, I tend ah. to like to watch um, shows that are more fantasy or more uh, kind of. I live I live life in the real life, so I don't want to watch that on TV. Um, <laughs> so I tend to watch things like more like Westworld or kind of what, what I would call futuristic type of shows that I find kind of fascinating, especially the ones that are well written. Yeah. Period pieces like House of Dragons. Um, I, I've watched uh, I've watched Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. I'll watch some of that. With the Witcher on Netflix. So I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll watch some of that. I definitely. Uh, my wife's into that a lot more than I am. But yeah, I'll watch some of those. <laughs> All right. And, uh, you know, Don, last question for you. I mean, I know you've, you've obviously, you work in mm -hmm. HR now, you've, you've worked in business. Um, when you think about a business leader who inspires your work and has, has maybe been kind of formative into how you approach, uh, you know, your work, your role, the impact you want to have on employees in the business. Does anybody come to mind that stands out to you? Probably Jack Welsh. Early in my career, I got a chance to work at GE uh, and, and work with Jack and just the things that he did. Uh, around recognizing early on that it was all about talent. It was all about talent development um, and his emphasis on making sure you had the right talent that, you know, the right talent would make the world a difference. And so that's been something that's stuck with me for, for 30 years, you know, is that um, you can have the best products, you can have the best anything, but if you don't have the right talent with the right mindset and, and, and with the right attitude, you're, you're not going to succeed. And so that's kind of what I shoot for every day is to really make sure that we have the talent. And, and I learned that very early on at GE. Well, Don, I really enjoyed getting to know more about you, your background, your career and your role. So I really appreciate you uh, making time to help us get to know you a bit better on the podcast. Thanks, Lars. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.